0: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is July 29, and this is episode 63. Well, just ahead, PayPal distances itself from eBay, and how one mattress maker struggles with demand. And how do you get Wi-Fi in the middle of the ocean? The answer is Iridium. Iridium CEO Matt Desch joins us for a very interesting conversation. But first, it's sponsor time.
1: The drilldown is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era AIERA. dot com. And how about you go to your smart speaker, perhaps Alexa, and say, "Hey, Alexa, play the Drilldown podcast. I think you'll like what you hear." And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net.
0: All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got some business stories behind Stocks in the Move, and we've got the three most important business stories today with our executive producer, Isaac Webster.
1: Hey, Corey, let's start with GDP. U.S. GDP or let's, let's? Yeah. Let's do it. What's Let's start important? with GDP. Well, there's... There's lots of things that are important. Who knows how to measure it? But a little philosophical moment for us today on the oh, drill that down. Was nice. That was nice. Uh, U.S. GDP, or gross domestic product, grew at a 6.5% annual rate in the second quarter. That's up slightly from a 6.3% growth rate in the first three months of the year. And today's report from the Commerce Department shows the economy is, has risen back above its pre-pandemic level. GDP, of course, is the broadest measure of U.S. goods and services produced. Now, before we get too excited, though, the surge of the Delta variant, we're talking about COVID, is expected to slow growth in the coming months. So we will see how this pans out.
0: All right, but let's look. So we we actually got the V-shaped recovery. It yeah. happened. Yeah. Two-month recession was now the shortest recession on on record for the U.S. economy. All it took was $4 trillion coming from the federal government. But right. uh, you know, the government action worked and kept the economy from going into recession and, or for, for long. And we had the shortest recession ever and that V-shaped recovery right back.
1: Now, next story is something we... This is a sector we've been talking about, electric vehicles, struggles with electric vehicle makers... And today, Trevor Milton, the founder of electric truck startup Nikola, was indicted on securities fraud charges for allegedly lying to investors about its business-making commercial trucks powered by alternative fuel. Now, Milton resigned from the company last September, and he faces two counts of security fraud and one count of wire fraud, according to an indictment made public today. Now, Milton faces a maximum 25-year prison term if convicted. He pleaded not guilty to the charges and was released on a $100 million dollar or bail or bond, I should say, uh, A spokesman for his lawyers said Milton was quote innocent.
0: Yeah. People I know who, um, uh, study corporate fraud were just thrilled about just that there was some activity. My friend, Jesse Isaacer wrote this great book called the chicken shit club about how prosecutors just don't want to go after tough cases. Cause they want to notch easy convictions. This happened fast and it happened not too long after we saw a report from short sellers out detailing some of the, um, alleged uh falsehoods coming from this company
1: yeah now finally a third story that's really big where i am right now in los angeles scarlett johansson suing disney the movie star filing a lawsuit against disney alleging her contract was breached when disney released her film black widow on disney plus at the same time as its theatrical debut johansson was um said in her suit that her agreement with Disney's Marvel Entertainment guaranteed an exclusive theatrical release and her salary was based in large part on the box office performance of the film. Now, the Wall Street Journal points out that the suit could be a bellwether for the entertainment industry major media companies are prioritizing their streaming services in pursuit of growth as we've been talking about here and everywhere else. And, uh, they're increasingly putting their high value content on those platforms. So those chart, those changes have significant financial implications for actors and producers who want to ensure the growth in streaming doesn't come at their own expense. So, um, I haven't seen a statement from Disney yet, but we'll definitely want to report back on that when Disney offers its own statement. Yeah.
0: Fascinating because you know, the, the, the medium uh, matters in some ways for the pay more than the message, right? If the movie is good or bad, we don't, it doesn't matter, but she's getting paid based on where it's showing and and what the box office receipts are. And it's not being, it's being given away by the company online. Um, They could have given her part of the online proceeds. They're obviously not doing that to her satisfaction.
1: Well, that just shows how, how quickly all of this has had to transition because when they were making, when they, you know, when they struck black, the black widow deal, it was years ago no one was predicting a pandemic, and Disney Plus was just a gleam in Disney's eye when they started when they started developing this whole thing. So you know, these contracts that were written that long ago, just a couple of years ago, aren't are uh, need to be revisited now. I don't know who I'd re- least like to tick off Disney
0: or Scar- Scarlett Johansson. Definitely not the Black Widow. Though would not want to tick off the Black Widow.
1: are gonna You're go gonna, loo- you're gonna lose if you tick off the Black Widow. But this we're is go see definitely. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's, we,
0: that's the big plan for this weekend.
1: Wait, where are you seeing it, though? In a movie theater. Okay. I want to okay. see it with a
0: big screen and and lots of loud noises, and uh, in a perfect world, we'll find an IMAX theater to see it in.
1: We watched it in our living room, really enjoyed it. Uh, but this is definitely going to be a case to watch. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. <laughs> Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today?
0: One of my old favorites, Temper sealy International.
1: Tempur-Sealy. trades with the ticker TPX. Shares jumped 15% today and they've gained to 122% in a year. What's new with tempur
0: An old favorite because I was, once upon a time, I was worked at a hedge fund that was short this stock. Never liked it as a short. We made money on the short side when they had an inventory problem and quickly turned around and I bought it for my personal account because I thought it was actually a well-run company. That was many years ago. It's a different company now. Tempur-Pedic was the apple of the mattress business when Sealy and Simmons and Serta were the kind of the the regular old PC makers. Now it's all one company, Temper Sealy. And as you heard on our show just a few weeks ago, the high-end purple mattresses were selling like crazy. Remember that interview, Isaac? I do. Very well. It's one of our our good ones. Um, For a change. Well, uh, people are are buying mattresses. They're buying high-end temper foam mattresses. They're buying high-end purple mattresses. They're buying more affordable Sealy spring mattresses. Well, the net sales for Tempur-Sealy were $1.2 billion, up 73% over last year, 62% higher than they were in 2019. Wow. So big demand in the mattress business. Not only do they have big demand, they've got a backlog. They've got a big backlog of orders. The numbers could have been higher this quarter. They just couldn't make enough mattresses. Well over $100 million worth of backlog. They're also limiting... How, how many mattresses a lot of their retailers can have. They're on allocation. Here's the CEO, Scott Thompson. We have
2: um, major customers on allocation. Um, getting a little hot kitchen, as a matter of fact. Uh, and we probably at least uh, deferred $150 million of sales in, in the second quarter. Uh, so when you really look at the demand uh, this is a this is a big demand uh, problem we're, we're, work, we're working through. I, we we have customers in the third quarter are continued on allocation, and hopefully when we get to the fourth quarter, uh, we're expecting that we'll be taking customers off of
0: allocation. So that was stunning to me: allocation uh, backlogs and a huge demand level.
1: Corey, what is your next drill down?
0: Well, I want to take a look at PayPal
1: holdings. PayPal holdings. PayPal trades with the ticker PYPL. Shares fell 6% today, but they've gained 53% over the past 12 months. What is new with PayPal?
0: Well, I want to tell you what's old about PayPal. I'm going to tell you okay. a story. All right. The golden days of the internet, something I unpacked kind of in secret. I was uh, talking to people about some things that happened long ago that I didn't understand. Hold I on, want let to me get a blanket
1: you. that I can get all cuddly and listen to this. Mm.
0: Okay. I thought you'd light a cigar and get a bourbon and sit back and listen (laughs) to this one. Yeah. So long ago, there were two companies named, uh, one was named eBay, one was called Amazon. And Amazon wanted to get into this uh, auction business that eBay had uh, uh, really kind of pioneered and dominated. But eBay's advantage was this secret sauce of rich data of all of the eBay transactions that had taken place over the few years that eBay had been around. They knew their business, they knew how their business worked, and they knew it because they had those data resources of all of those customer transactions. Who bought what, how often they bought those things, uh, what what kind of sales led to what kind of other sales, the pace of those sales, the bidding in those sales, that, that was all in the data. And eBay thought they owned this market. Amazon tried to come into this market and grow the market. They could see Amazon as a big competitor but they knew they owned the data. The problem was PayPal had a lot of that data. At least a quarter of the auctions were completed by PayPal. 70% of eBay auctions at the time, this is 2002, were were being done, were offered with PayPal. So PayPal had the same amount of data. PayPal was a standalone company. Now PayPal was a lousy business. It lost tons and tons of money. And the more uh, transactions it did, the more it lost. PayPal had an accumulated deficit in 2002 of about $200 million up from 20 million when they went public just a year before. So the more business they did, the more money they lost. But then there started to be rumors that Amazon was going to buy PayPal because they would have acquired all of that data. Mm -hmm. So Meg Whitman, then the CEO of PayPal calls up uh, the chief operating officer, Maynard Webb. He was on the way to the San Francisco airport to finally take a vacation with his family. They're going to Hawaii. He dropped his family off of the curb and said, I got to go back to work. We're buying a company. They bought PayPal. Wow. So they bought this company, not cause it was a good company. They bought it because they couldn't let the information get into a competitor's hands. So the reputation of some of the PayPal people was made at this moment. Peter Thiel, Reed Hoffman, um, David Sachs, a guy named Elon Musk was a director of the company. They were, they were thought to be geniuses cause they sold this business for one and a half billion dollars. But of course it was a massive money losing um, whale that eBay just couldn't let get it out of their hands. Well, flash forward 2000 they spin out uh, the business now to its own thing. PayPal's a standalone company for six years now. eBay was still a big part of their business and has been a big part of their business. But what they've realized now is it was actually holding them back because it couldn't let them do deals with companies like Alibaba and others. Those deals are slowly unwinding and the power that eBay has over PayPal is diminishing. What we saw in the quarterly results released today very clearly was that the PayPal business, not affiliated with eBay, is growing faster, is better for them. And PayPal frankly can't wait to kind of shed uh, the last of the shackles of its eBay business. Here's PayPal CEO, Dan Schulman from today.
2: I I do want to say this about eBay. Obviously they remain a very close strategic partner uh, for us. Um, We still have about 60% share of checkout. Uh, on eBay, and obviously eBay merchants uh, and, uh, and consumers um, want uh, and desire to use PayPal. If you think about, just to give perspective, historic perspective, if you think about when we split from eBay six years ago, eBay's revenues as a percent of our total were 26% of our total revenues. And we believe that they're gonna end this year around 3% or so, and that their TPV is gonna be under 3% as a percent of our overall um, volumes. And so um, this is, as I mentioned before, it's a timing issue. And frankly, the sooner eBay transitions, the better it is for our future uh, revenue growth.
0: So, you know, here we are 20 years later, And it's gone completely the other way where uh, where PayPal can't wait to get away from eBay.
1: Corey, what is your next drill down?
0: Let's look at our good friend VSE Corporation.
1: VSE trades with the ticker VSEC. Shares fell 2% today, but they've risen 81% in a year. So tell me about VSE. They came out with earnings? Came up with earnings. We uh, had the CEO on as one of our first CEO guests
0: in the drill down podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's an interesting little business where they repair and, and, and distribute parts and so on for government, uh, military post office. Uh, it's, it's, it's literally a nuts and bolts business. They had revenue of $175 million in the quarter up about 4% year over year. Um, interestingly though, they've sort of got these two businesses. They've got distribution revenue and they've got repair revenue. So their distribution revenue is up more than 90% year over year. Repair was only up 16%. Why is this? Well, this is this is sort of a story of the recovery after COVID because the recovery after COVID, right, things came back. Things that were shut down, things that were mothballed, uh, uh, planes that weren't in action doing deliveries or doing other things were suddenly being uh, taken out of mothballs, put into service. Well, they haven't started breaking yet. They haven't needed the repairs yet. Because while the planes are back, the repairs are just starting up because things are only starting to, to need repair. The distribution of the parts and so on has happened. They're getting ready for it, But the actual repair services have yet to occur. But the, uh, the aviation margin rates for them, the, of the pre-COVID levels, yeah, that's back. But the repair... Not quite yet, Uh, here is the Chief Financial Officer of VSE, Steve Griffin.
2: We'll see those aviation margin rates recover to their pre-COVID levels when both the repair and the distribution businesses recover to their pre-COVID levels. So obviously you've seen that the distribution business has recovered since COVID, mostly driven by market share gains and the new programs that we've been awarded. The repair business is not quite there yet, and so what I would communicate is as the repair business starts to scale, we start to see the revenue increase and obviously cover some of the fixed costs in that business, that's when you should see the margin rates uh, get back to their pre-COVID levels. We haven't necessarily articulated when we expect the repair business to get back to its pre-COVID levels, but I'd say we're on track with our internal forecast as to what we would expect to see in terms of our recovery profile ahead of the market.
0: So they're not telling us when it's coming back, but they're telling us that it is coming back and it's on the way. All right, coming up next, we got a really fascinating company, Iridium has the satellites all over the world to provide phone service and Wi-Fi service for anyone, anywhere, including all the ships at sea. Ready CEO, Matt Dash joins us to talk about this super cool business.
1: But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. AIRA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at AIRA, And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on.
0: Right, welcome back to The Drill, Down. We are joined right now by the CEO of Iridium, Matt Desh. Matt, glad to have you on. Um, Iridium is a company that has fascinated me for a very long time. I remember a, an early Wired magazine article describing this thing being built, satellites in the sky giving you mobile phone usage. It seemed incredible. Here we are so many years later, and this business um, is doing quite well. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the satellite described to me, From a 30,000 foot view, pardon the pun, but the 100,000 foot view, what is the satellite phone business? It's actually
3: 485 mile up view. There we go. Yeah, think of us, we're we're like a, we're a telephone company in the sky. Um, You know, people are very comfortable with their cell phone service, which comes from cell towers around your neighborhood. But, you know, it's been 35 years now that cell phones have been in existence and they still only cover about 10 percent of the Earth's surface and and probably won't do a whole lot more because that's where people live. But people don't stay where they live. They move out beyond that. They move out uh, in remote places. And from there, you need a signal from space to be able to connect to you so that you can talk or connect to the Internet or track things or whatever you might want to do. And that's what we were created to do. There were other satellite companies before us. They, they operated way out in space in what's called the geostationary orbit from far away. We were the first low earth orbiting system, a system that operates very close to the earth, which meant that the signals don't travel very far. They're almost like a telephone uh, connection because they're so short, but also our satellites were connected in space, which never only spy satellites had been connected in space before. in fact, since. Uh, so we had 100 percent coverage of the planet. You know, there were other satellites that kind of covered a region, but we right. covered everything from the North Pole to the South Pole and everything in between. So as a result, uh, you know, you're right. We have an interesting history, but we've been growing like a weed for the 21 years or so that we've been uh, in commercial operation.
0: And how much of that? So, you know, you've got a, a couple of um, uh, sort of four different um, uh, places where you're getting some, uh, revenue in terms of services right voice iot broadband and hosted payload um but how should we try to understand the buckets the biggest buckets of your business
3: well i mean first of all you have to understand kind of the unique services we offer we're not really trying to be the internet provider for your home service there are other companies that are going to that do that well today and some coming that will do that extremely well really excited about you know, companies like Starlink and OneWeb and those sort of things. But they're really optimized to be general purpose internet providers to a big satellite dish, uh, uh, you know, that's powered and connects to your home. And where We're people up, are gathered in, in, in you know, in, in aggregate, right? Yeah, in, in their homes or, you know, even if they're on the move, they're going to be on the move um, in, in very predictable ways where you can put this big antenna on the top of maybe a truck, but it's not going to go on a car or certainly not going to, go in your backpack or your pocket. We're more of a mobility company. We're about how do you make a connection to things that are smaller than the palm of your hand? You know, our antennas are typically the size of the end of your thumb, you know, so you can build that into all kinds of really small things. Uh, and you can track people and assets and buoys and and animals and all that sort of thing. And And therefore, we're more about Making the connection than we are about providing some sort of a big internet pipe to you. Uh, and as a result of that, I mean, we have, we're, you know, the hot area that has are, are been our biggest growth in the last 10 years is what's called Internet of Things, IoT. You know, that's right. the telecom industry term for connecting things instead of people. And that's where we've been growing. I mean, we almost had 90,000 new subscribers last quarter. That would have been a good year a couple years ago. And now it's really, really expanded fast. We are providing more speed than just a simple connection to people. And so that's starting to be into what I'd call the low end of broadband. But we often call sort of specialty broadband, making very important safety connections to, say, the cockpit of an airliner. You know, we're not going to be the ones that connect the Wi-Fi when you're in the passenger seat, but we're in the one providing a really extremely reliable, important safety connection to the pilots to send flight plans back and forth to air traffic control. So those are those are big growth areas for us. Uh, as you mentioned, hosted payloads when we created a business called Aerion, which tracks air air. Airplanes around the world—that's going to turn into a huge business uh, for us, and uh, already supplies a lot of, of revenues to us. But yeah, it's a really sixty million last early. year, sure. Yeah, and it came from nowhere. You know, I mean, remember we created that business out of scratch to put um, a receiver on each one of our new satellites that we launched between 2018, and 1920, and all those satellites can now see every airplane in the world, and that's turned into a very valuable business.
0: Now, when you talk about the the Internet of Things and, and the things that you are able to track, what kind of things are we talking about? Are we talking about containers? Are we talking about, you know, uh,
3: jet engines? Uh, all the way down from the largest things like ships and airplanes and uh, trucks and uh, containers on the back of trucks or on ships, all the way down to very, very small things. I mean, we're on tracking animals for anti-poaching. We're tracking... Um, uh, oil and gas pipelines; those don't move, but you know, uh, you need to know whether they're they're spilling oil or you know what's the the flow rate or and the and the hey, data is so the they're not always
0: in the most convenient places. Oil and gas
3: pipelines. Well, in fact, in fact, we don't compete really with cellular. You know, the people who created us 25 years ago thought we might be a nice replacement for cellular because we operated everywhere in the world. We didn't see it that way. We say we're the perfect complement to cellular use a cellular device if you can, but it doesn't operate everywhere. You know, if, you're, if your train is going across land and you want to know exactly where it is, it's going to go in and out of cell phone coverage. You use us when it, when it isn't there. Uh, same way with a truck or a, a piece of heavy equipment or a, um, uh, you know, scientific experiment in the ocean, you know, an ocean glider that goes down underneath the sea and then comes back up and you need to find it or it needs to send you its data and be reprogrammed. We're the perfect connection for that because we operate in the middle of the ocean just as well as we operate in the middle of, uh, of a city here in the US. So uh, it's, uh, it's a very, very broad range of applications starting to get into new things like drones and autonomous vehicles and, uh, uh, you know, unattended sensors. Yeah. The military likes us because we operate everywhere. They have their own systems, but they can connect to their assets. They can connect to people. They can track where their uh, uh, where things are, um, and uh, and can com- and can communicate with each other. And uh, and so do commercial entities of all types.
0: You haven't mentioned Marine, but that seems to be a big focus uh, for you guys. Uh, certainly, it's been a big focus of your recent quarterly conference calls, which I've listened to.
3: Yeah, maritime is a natural market for us because there's no cell phone towers that are ever going to be out in the ocean. So, if you're a fishing vessel or a or a large container ship, uh, and the captain wants to connect the the ship, uh, the people on the ship, you're not going to get someone to work two weeks out in the ocean and not be able to make Facebook posts or or right. do their Twitter feed or talk to their families or or connect with their families. Don't um,
0: forget TikTok. Don't sell TikTok
3: short. TikTok in the middle of the ocean—it's got to be a real thing. Uh, sadly, it probably is, and that's unfortunately <laughs> not, the, not the best thing that I think we've we've all achieved or created. <laughs> but uh, but you're right. I mean, all those kind of connections are important, and increasingly now that we're we're actually uh, able to be mandated, every ship has to carry a large ship has to carry a satellite device, so that if if it would sink or run into something you'd be able to save it and there's a big red button on there that you can put that the captain can push, which will bring, uh, people to Help. to save. Yeah. In fact, it came out of the Titanic, uh, crash. It's called GMDSS, which is a lot of acronyms, but we're now certified to be that, so we can be the one thing on every ship. You got to have us on the ship so that you can at least protect your passengers and crew.
0: And, and GMDSS, uh, it required them what, uh, what 60,000 ships in the world are about that size?
3: That's what is currently required to have a GMDSS system on there. Uh, it's called Solas. There's this convention many years ago that said any any ship that's sixty thousand tons or greater has to have one of these systems on it. Right. But increasingly, you know, everybody wants to have a panic button, if you will, on their ship. You know, if you're on a, a smaller vessel, you'd like it to be tracked, you'd like weather information to be sent to it in the middle of the ocean, you'd like uh, to know if there's navigation issues, you got to worry about that's what this device does. And our system is a lot less expensive and it works everywhere on the planet. so it's uh, it's it's a hot device right now out in the maritime environment
0: and so you and that's a perfect example of sort of if we can better understand how you get paid. So you sell the device to the ship, presumably, and then you get service revenues as long as they're as long as that ship's afloat.
3: yes, um. We're a service revenue business, so we care about that recurring service. That's what we want more than anything else. The device is just a way to make the connection, and it's a unique device. The one thing I'd always change about what you said is that we're a wholesale operator. So we go to market through partners, uh, 500 or so companies in the world, many who have names you'd recognize, some that you wouldn't. They're the ones who build our device into their solutions, whether they be Caterpillar for a cat for one of their Caterpillar, Komatsu or Doosan, you know, if it's a piece of heavy equipment. If it's a ship owner, it's going to be one of the many ship companies like Marlink or Speedcast or KVH. If Garmin, it's an airplane, Garmin. it'll be an avionics supplier like Honeywell or Collins or Garmin or whatever. So those are the companies, they embed us into their solutions and they're the ones who spend the money to actually certify it, develop it, sell it, and so we really just make the airtime, which gives us a very high margin, very high cash flow business as a result.
0: And it looks like uh, after so many years of spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year in capital expenditures, that's finally coming down a lot. Um, is that is that a sort of a function of you've finally got the satellite coverage that will last you for a little while without having to continually launch uh, as many as you've launched in the past?
3: Well, it's a, it's not coverage because we've always had. 100% coverage. It's the fact that the first network that was built that you remember way back when was built back in 1997, 1998 yeah. and it lasted amazingly for 21 years, which is a long time for a system to operate. We had to replace it. So we had to spend a lot of money to replace it, but our new network is now going to last another 15 to 20 years. Right. And we don't really have to replace it um, anytime soon. So we're in a CapEx holiday. Uh, you know, we're, Promise at least 10 years of very low cap- capital uh, requirements that we have. And with extremely high cash flow, it means we're kind of gushing cash right now. So we're really, really generating a lot of cash flow uh, in excess of, well, several billion dollars in the next five years alone. So we're returning a lot of that to our shareholders through share buybacks and potentially dividends and that sort of thing. Uh, and still have, you know, paying down our debt, deleveraging, really getting that financial house to the place where we dreamed it would be 20 years ago, 25 yeah. years ago. It just took a long time to get there because it's such a capex intensive business.
0: And, and probably a little easier to get to the second time around once you've proven the concept and you've got some paying customers and you've got money coming in the door.
3: That's right. I mean, the nice thing about our business, our customers join us and then they don't really turn it off because there's not a good alternative to them that really does what we do. So we have long, long uh, customer relationships. they, they become recurring cu- customers. We keep adding customers. We're over 1.6 million now, uh, you know, and growing it, you know, as I said, like almost grew a hundred thousand subscribers just in the last quarter alone. Um, yeah. Each, each quarter we add lots more subscribers. They end up adding a lot more service revenue and that all falls to the bottom line since we're pretty much a fixed cost business. And
0: um, let me know about uh, sort of the biggest growth areas. Where Where is the areas that can really kind of accelerate this growth, um, which has gone nicely. I mean, you did $583 million in revenues last year. Um, but, you know, what, where is the growth really going to happen here?
3: So, you know, we're just brand new to this sort of specialty broadband area. So that's an area of particular growth to us, as is IoT has been a longstanding growth area. The one Sorry, that specialty think,
0: broadband is Specialty broadband is defined as—
3: uh, well, it's, it's these unique safety applications, like the, like the cockpit of a, a commercial airliner, you know, needs to have us in there to talk to the pilots, That's specialty broadband, as opposed to what I call commodity broadband in the back of the airplane, which is a big Wi-Fi connection that's shared by all the passengers. Right. Uh, that's a different company that supplies that we would never be the one to do that. The one area that we haven't talked about that we're really particularly excited about is what I call the consumer business a number of our partners have taken our products and have boiled them down to smaller than the size of your hand and have made it a great connection point for, a, uh, for your, your iPhone or your Android phone to connect wherever you are in the world. So while you won't connect through a cell tower, you will really connect through our, our satellite in space and you'll be able to do a lot of what you were able to do before. You might be able to talk, but you certainly can text, you can send information back and forth easily we're now looking to boil ourselves down really down to it, the size of a chip so that we can even be embedded in, in smartphones. And Interesting. that would allow us to work and, you know, in anybody's pocket in the device that you're comfortable with uh, you know, there will be nobody lost uh, like in, in the movie Lost, or like in the show lost uh, cause you'll end up having good cell phone connections pretty much wherever you are. You can certainly text wherever you happen to be. That's, that's kind of the future uh, for us. And we really think the just making a connection to to things without even a device in the middle of the way, because, um, you know, the devices themselves can actually talk the language of our satellites. That's that's the exciting potential for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, you see these devices. I, I mentioned Garmin in passing just because I know of the devices that hikers will use or rock climbers or something where they can use a, a specialty uh, device, a you know, phone walkie-talkie type device that connects using Iridium uh, that allows them to be Wherever they
3: are and be uh, have a degree of safety that wasn't available before. Garmin is garmin has just uh, really embedded us in across a number of their products now and they're coming out with other devices that integrate with their whole suite of personal communication devices um, and they're expanding all over the world. They're certainly one of the highest volume partners we have and there, others have been attracted to that consumer space as well. Uh, a new one called Zolio has come in uh, that has really done very well. There's a bunch of companies in, uh, in Silicon Valley and others who are taking us and building us into other kinds of devices. And you can see us into game cameras and, um, you know, collars for tracking animals and all those sort of things that can really be high volume products that can make a connection anywhere in the world. And uh, and therefore be a really really important service to the to their customer who really is worried about their safety or security or tracking their assets when they're off the grid. And their dumb dogs could get it. Matt Desch, yeah. thank you very much. Matt Desch is the CEO of Iridium Communications.
0: We appreciate your time. All right, coming up Pretty next, the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. We're going to give you that exact customer count for Iridium, where they were total billable customers at the end of the last quarter. Um, a giant number growing fast. We'll tell you how fast it's growing, but also give you that exact number.
1: That is the drill down bite when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by Era, a one stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's EraAIERA.com. And we hope you're listening to The
0: Drill Down Podcast as a subscriber, as a follower of The Drill Down. Of course, you can do that at any any of your favorite podcast platforms, not least of which Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, uh, Pandora, Alexa, uh, with Amazon, Stitcher,
1: iHeart. Um, But make sure you hit that subscribe button and follow every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net.
0: We're back with the drill down bite. that one number that tells us a whole lot. That number, the number of total billable subscribers for Rhythm at the end of the last quarter, 1,616,000. It's up from about 1.4 million the year before. It's at 19% year-over-year growth, uh, a giant number of subscribers uh, in a very diverse uh, group at that. Right, Isaac?
1: And very much so. And listen, this is what happens when you build a product that people want and need. Uh, even if they didn't know they needed it before
0: it was built. Yeah. That's the whole point. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.